all our political platforms have always been about jobs, but we're not going to get jobs from mainstream establishments. We have to create them. Welcome to season three of the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where not only do we want you to get your money, we want you to get your money right. This show is designed specifically for ambitious moms, dads, husbands, and wives to help you get money out of the way so you can start living life on your own terms. And if you're finally ready to transform the way you do money, come sign up for one of our free resources at yourmoneyright.com. Again, that's yourmoneyright.com. What's the good news, people? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where we talk about money like it's everybody's business, because I truly believe if we're not good with money, it's because we don't talk about money. And this show is designed to change just that. I am your host, the money misfit, Jamar Dupaz. This is episode number 47. And today, today we got a very special episode. It's our very first interview show. We have a, a very special guest, a good friend of mine, and somebody that I follow and learn from, Mr. Kamari Ellis. And if you don't know about who he is or uh, what he's about, Mr. Kamari Ellis is a tax advisor, an investment advisor, and he spends most of his time, at least that's what it looks like, helping other people get their money right, right? And, and directly get their money right. So he manages portfolios. He helps them with their tax advice. He also educates. He's an advocate for the black community, black-owned businesses. He's out of Philadelphia. So anybody up in Philly or up on that uh, that side, side of the country, you may want to look him up. He uh, does host local events. Uh, he's on local radio up there all the time. Uh, and he's just a person who has a wealth of knowledge. And you're definitely want to the nuggets that he drops in this interview. You definitely want to pay attention to. But if this is your first time tuning in, let me first say welcome. Thank you. I don't know how you got here, but I do appreciate you being here. We talk about money as it relates to real life on the show. How can you use it to get the things that you want? How can you get money out of the way so you can go travel to the places you want to travel to, raise the families you want to raise, and go after those goals and dreams. It's not about getting rich quick or anything like that, but maybe actually getting rich quicker or actually getting rich, right? We're not ashamed of money here. We understand that the love of money is the root of all evil, not just money, and money is an important part of life. So that's why we uh, approach it the way we do. So if you want to find out more about how we do what we do and what we believe and, and all that good stuff, head over to our website at yourmoneyright.com. Again, that's yourmoneyright.com and consider becoming a misfit. Also, let me make a quick announcement before we get into the interview here that the boot camp uh, will be coming up this month. We've got a date and we've got a time already set. It's going to be this February 25th is a Saturday at one o'clock central time. So it's February 25th. One o'clock central time. That's two o'clock Eastern. Make sure you mark your calendars for that. Uh, we're getting everything finalized and all that good stuff. Um, and I'm getting a lot of feedback from uh, the previous boot campers. And we'll get that cart opened up 
uh, for everybody. Uh, we'll give you a lot more time to jump in this time. So we're still going to take 10 people. We may extend it, but we're probably still going to keep it to 10 uh, because uh, the uh, people who graduated from the last one will be welcome. So we only have so many slots, but we will have at least two new bodies or couples, I should say. Because uh, married people, you buy one ticket, you know, the wife or your husband or your spouse, whatever you want to call them, get in there as well. So you don't need to buy two tickets for that. You want to get on the waiting list for that. Go over to yourmoneyright.com forward slash boot camp. And when we open it up, it will go to the people that's on that list first. Uh, early bird pricing will be available for people who move quickly. And then after that, it'll go up to full price. And we will go from that. Again, that's uh, yourmoneyright.com forward slash boot camp. And if you don't know what that is, uh, just head to that website because I want to get into this interview because it is so good. So with that being said, again, this is an interview uh, with Mr. Kamari Ellis, tax advisor, investment advisor, and an all, all around good guy, good person, a man with a heart as big as Texas. And not only that, is he has knowledge to match. So again, let me introduce to you. Mr. Kamari Ellis. Mr. Kamari Ellis, first of all, let me say it is an honor, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And let me say, welcome. Welcome to Get Your Money Right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Who really took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been uh, a fan for a long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know me, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Right? <laughs> yeah, we got to start a club called that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so we've been doing a show since March 2016. We was kind of flying by the seat of the pants, and I really didn't know if I was worthy or if the audience was ready to hear from somebody like yourself. So I'm excited about today. And today we're going to talk about, uh, we, we touched on this last episode, but today we're going to talk about one of your uh, – Famous articles that I ran across talking about how we can bridge the gap and build wealth in the black community. And this being Black History Month seems like it's the most fitting time. Uh, So we're going to touch on that. But before we get into that and you share with us what you do and how you do it or what you recommend for the black community, let's talk about who Mr. Kamari Ellis is. So in your own words, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal life. What's the day in life look like for you? Who is Mr. Kamari Ellis? Uh, Mr. Kamari Ellis is a very complicated person. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. Uh, I'm a brother, not by biological, but by spirit. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I try to be uh, an advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves especially in the area of finance and economics. Um, I love finance, economics, and business. Um, I'm I'm a podcaster, but I'm on a little bit of a hiatus right now, so (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to to have liberty to that curve. (laughs) Once a a podcast, always a podcast. We're going to get you back in the game, though, if I got to drag you in here. No, I'm coming. I got to figure it out now. I just got to work on one or two more tweaks, and maybe you can help me get out of that procrastination slash (laughs) perfectionist um, <laughs> dilemma I'm having. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot of things. And what I've found, you know, recently is that I'm a creative as well. You know, podcasting and writing is a very creative function. And a lot of times, you know, I was just straight up looking at numbers and raw data. And I think I suppressed, um, suppressed a lot of that creativity. But 
I had an opportunity to have a, a radio show, a talk radio show, and I'm talking to people and interacting with people and doing what I love to do with, with teaching. And I guess that's other thing. I'm a teacher as well. And and it just was like, wow, this is awesome. And then this is all happening at the time of digital media is exploding. Facebook's exploding. Twitter's exploding. Um, Instagram is exploding. And I'm like, wow, there's a whole other world out here full of opportunity not just for individual consumption, but for business consumption as well, that could be a game changer. Right. So when I first first found you, I found you on YouTube teaching about stocks, bonds, really? financing. How did you get into that? And what was the what was the catalyst behind doing that? So I hate video. <laughs> and I know you're like, Kamari, I see you do video all the time, right? <laughs> I hate video, but I started doing video as a challenge. There's a, a podcaster out there by the name of uh, Chris Sarone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He has a pretty good show, but I think his show is on hiatus. But me and Chris developed a friendship. You know, podcasters, we all have something in common. Yeah. So he challenged me to do a 30-day video challenge, and I did it. Now, I think I might have missed like two or three days. And then I was like, wow, I created a body of work that I could continuously reference back to. You know, I had to plan it out. I had to do it. But I think think I've had it out there for either two or three years. I can continuously go back to it. Now, it hasn't done fantastic numbers on YouTube. My YouTube channel doesn't have uh, great numbers. But my YouTube channel still grows, I think, in a large part of that because I did that and some of the other videos that I put out. And I don't even pay. I don't put the attention into YouTube that I actually should. I'm going to change that very soon. But that was the catalyst that really got me into the video side of thing. I've always been a lover of radio. I'm a lover of music, all kinds of music. Um, Everything I do, I usually do with music. So when I had the radio show, which started back in 2011, um, so about 2012, I said, hey, let's do a podcast. Because I've been listening to podcasts since forever, my wife brought me a um, an iPod right around the time they were available around like 2005 or somewhere around there. One of the first thing I found, one of the first things I found was podcast. And I just mm-hmm. fell in love ever since because it's a natural progression for me because I love talk radio. And since I love talk right. radio, it's easy for me to love podcasting. Plus, you know, there's a little stat, there's a study out there that says that people who listen to talk radio typically have higher IQs. <laughs> <laughs> now we can do podcasts, y'all can go even higher than that, right? You listen to podcasts, maybe exactly. can, maybe a few more points from podcasts. Exactly. That's what's up. All right. So on this on this show, as you probably know, maybe you don't know, uh, we talk about money like it's everybody's business. Uh it I is. truly believe uh, if we're not good with money, it's because we don't talk about money and money has been such a taboo subject. But when it comes to money, when I say the word money, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What does it mean to you? I, one, I only got one opportunity to, to respond or. Yes. <laughs> so first thing that comes to mind. The first thing that comes to mind, I will say is tool. Mm. That's all money is. It's, it's a tool. Now, if you want to give me a little liberty, I would say opportunity. Okay. What are, what are tools here for? It'll help us do things and, you know, afford us opportunities to either, you know, take a hammer. You can do works of wonders or 
works of destruction was, uh, with a hammer. But, you know, one of the very first tools we had was, you know, fire. And what did mm-hmm. we use fire for? You know, cook food, help us to digest food easily, easier. You know, you take a hammer, again, it's a tool, but what is it for? A lot of times we're building structures to protect us from the elements, from other animals. Um, it's snowing up where I'm at in Philadelphia in the Northeast to protect us from the snow so we can live a better, easier life. So it's a tool. Money can be used for all of those things, those same things. That's outstanding. That's that's a nugget right there. Y'all make sure y'all maybe hit that 15 second playback real quick and listen to that again, because that's that's strong. It's something we don't hear about a lot when it comes to money. Um, so continue on that same vein, because we like to get into everybody's business. What do you do today to earn your money? What do you do specifically? Uh, I'm an investment and tax advisor. Um, so you get into my business. Um, I'm also going through a bit of a transition right now. Uh, I like to be authentic. Right. So I had some partners um, and our business didn't go so well. Right. Okay. So even Kamari, the money guy, will have financial shortcomings at times. Right. Um, so I, I, our business didn't go too well. Um, still, I haven't figured out why, but it's it's been a bit of a bit of rough transition for me. Um, probably a bigger bruise to my ego uh, than anything else. But you know, now I think it's also God's God's at work at well um, because He knows I love to teach. Um, he knows it's it's almost, and I'm not trying to be blasphemous because I really don't claim any religious faith, even though I was raised as a Christian in the church. But it's almost like a ministry for me um, mm. to a certain degree. You know, some days I hate talking to people about money. It's like, y'all folks just don't get it. And I want to get to preaching. <laughs> and it's like, what's wrong with y'all? Don't y'all see the, the writing on the wall? And then, and then other days it's, it's, it's like my greatest salvation, so to speak. Um, so it's definitely like a love. Well, it's a love relationship. It's definitely, there's nothing hateful about it. But, I, you know, I'll say just like anything else, there are, there are some days it's just like, I want to go back to bed, pull the covers up over my head and just come back <laughs> to y'all folks later. <laughs> so you mean to tell me that even money gurus and internet stars and professionals, they, uh, they're real people too. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, and, you know, I say that because I don't want to be a guru. Uh, right. And it's funny. Tony Robbins has a, has a, um, has a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's called, I'm not your guru. Oh, yeah, I've seen it, definitely. And and I don't know how you felt about it, but I thought it was a powerful piece of work because each of us has our own work to do, and that's basically what it was. We all are responsible for getting our work done and then hopefully coming back collectively and doing some work together as well. Right. Outstanding, outstanding. All right, so we talk about uh, who you are, what money means to you, how you earn your money today, and one piece of nugget that you can give people, because I think it's important. Well, did I truly answer that question? No, you did. That was perfect. Okay. Uh, you're an investment advisor. You're, you're going through transition. Uh, but, you, you, but one of the biggest takeaways that I get from that, and I, I'm, I guess I'll spell it out, is that uh, you have a skill base. You have a knowledge of being an investor, investment advisor, a tax advisor, mm-hmm. that you can take that and, and do you know, it's a skill, right? It's knowledge, it's information that you have that is valuable. Uh, and so when you have that type of information, when you have those type of skills, uh, you know, transitions ain't nothing. It's just a pivot. 
right? Um, uh, you know, in theory, I might agree with that. And maybe yeah. it's just my inner nerd. Um, but I'm I'm one of those people that can, and I'm not trying to self-aggrandize, but I can almost do just about anything if you give me long enough to study it. Right. Um, but that's not a good thing a lot of times because you have too many options. Yeah. Oh. It's like, it's like, it's like <laughs> you know, I think some of these fellas are going crazy nowadays because they got so many options when it comes to the ladies. Right. Um, and, and you miss, you miss out what actually you were born to do if there is such a thing. I hear you loud and clear. Okay. So, but one of the things I want to get away from, and I think is important or not get away from or get to next is everybody has a change in heart. So everybody has things that they believe today, right? That they may not believe tomorrow. When it comes to money, could you share with us something that you used to believe about money that you have found is no longer true or you've changed your mind about? That's a hard question. Um, and you can go back as far as you want to think about maybe some old money beliefs and what you have found, you know, going through your life, your life experience, advising so many people the way you've done, teaching so many people the way you've done. I got it. Go ahead. I got one. The people who have money or the people you would think have money still have money issues. Mm. You would think they would. So I don't know the, 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 the term. Um, you know, one percent is 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 popular now. Obama is uh, anybody over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars being considered rich is another one. Those folks have problems. I have clients who make over half a million dollars a year, and they have money problems, <laughs> and it boggles my mind because most of the times it's it's very easy to fix, and that's for me looking from the outside in. But they have money problems. Yeah. And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> but they do. And, and Okay. So, and I guess to really wrap it up, I found that more people have what I call a spender's disease mm-hmm. than um, what I realized because a lot of these things come from um, unconscious spending patterns or, mm-hmm. or, or becoming a slave to, to um, consumerism. Let's let's uh let's break that down. Let's talk about what is consumerism. I, I define consumerism slash materialism as as wanting all the new uh, the new things that are on on sale, whether it's beneficial for you or not. Okay. Um, a lot of people will go buy that new car just because they like it, and hey, that's okay. That's right. perfectly fine. Um, it's your money you require for you can do what you want to do. But when you have other priorities, like say you want to send your children to private school or you want to send your children to college because you don't and pay for it because you don't want them to have college debt or you want to set them up or you want to take your wife who's been loyal to you and helping um, with you, uh, you want to retire her for whatever reason. Um, and you're not working on that path because you're buying all this other stuff. Mm. I call that the spenders disease. I call that super duper consumerism. Right. Yeah. We, we, we talk about that a lot on this show, right? Uh, I, I say a lot of times it's not necessarily money management, but distraction management. Yeah. We need yeah. Uh, more than yeah. anything. So as, as, as it pertains, cause you wrote this guide, the guide to black wealth, and we're talking about 
uh, how black America can help itself uh, and, and, you know, do better. Do you think, and, and I was reading an article re- recently, maybe you can kind of uh, lend your expertise and maybe elaborate on it about how the purchasing power of the black community, you know, it's one point something trillion dollars could be the, what the 11th largest country. How does that spending power and, and consumerism relate to the black community and where we are as a whole financially? That's a lot of zeros, right? One point nine trillion, right? And, and mind you, uh, the black community is only about 14 to 15% of the U S population. Um, but I think you had to really have this conversation and had it properly. You got to put it in context because I get accused of being a racist sometimes um, when having this conversation. There's nothing about racism. There's nothing about putting anybody down. But it's it's merely saying that, hey, there are some issues in the black community that need to be addressed. And we are in America, supposedly the greatest nation um, in the world. And we have the liberties and, and the, the abilities to do these things. So if you if you just bear with me for a moment, you know, if you look at how blacks got here to America's, you know, we were brought over on slave boats, we were put in slavery. Um, we were then freed uh, out of slavery around 1865. Um, many of our ancestors before freedom that were fighting for their freedom. A lot of people don't talk about that. They don't talk about how we've a lot of times always yearned for freedom, figured out ways through our entrepreneurial spirit of buying ourselves out of slavery and um, many times. Um, but we were up to 1865, we were turned loose, free. And we started to do really, really well. Um, better so than a lot of our white counterparts. Then something happened called Black Codes. So he instituted Black Codes and he says, no, you Black folks are not allowed to do as good as the rest of the populace. Then comes along Jim Crow. I think most of us, you know, are know enough about Jim Crow to not go through that. Then we have the, the Board of Ed versus Brown and over in Kansas. And they say, hey, schooling really is jacked up for black folks. It's not that great. So how can we have this separate but equal doctrine, meaning that black people will have the same rights, the same liberties, the same level of education that the rest of the nation is getting, um, but be put off separately in different neighborhoods, so forth and so on. Then we have civil rights, the full on civil rights movement. Again, fighting for the rights of black people to be able to vote, to have home ownership, to be able to own businesses, uh, to be able to travel freely and live freely wherever they want. Now, mind you, before all this, that's up to about 1964, 1965, when the Civil Rights Act is signed, then go a little bit further until 1968-ish, 1970-ish when the um, Fair Housing Act was signed, all right? So you got to think about all those things, and then we add on top of it redlining, um, where Black people couldn't get mortgages or insurance in certain places. Um, All the while, I didn't even talk about how a lot of times Blacks, especially Black men, could not get jobs in the standard workforce. Um, And I know I'm saying a lot, but all of these things are really interconnected, and they tell a story. all of these things have systematically been put in place to keep black people behind, right? So when Martin Luther King in 1963 marched on Washington, black unemployment was double that of the national average. Jamar asked me where 
black unemployment is today. Where is black unemployment today in relation to the national average? It's still about double that of the <laughs> national average. So we're talking over 50 years here. So that is a, a systemic problem. Right. It's not an individualistic problem. It's it's really, honestly, it's not even really a black problem. It's a black problem to the extent that it affects our dollars and cents. But we know we can't really fix that problem, right? right. So we know we can't get jobs. My name is Kamari. Your name is Jamar. We yeah. already know when we send in resumes to certain places due to the screening and everything they have, they're not even looking at our resumes a lot of times, yeah. right? And yeah, we can implement strategies to make sure our resumes get into into you know the the um, the, uh, the the uh, gatekeepers and so forth and so on, but why should we have to do that when the rest of America doesn't have to do that? Now I got a whole other philosophy philosophizing that I could do, but I'll save you and <laughs> audience all of that. But basically, what that means is so I listed all those things, not to mention the GI Bill helped to create the white middle class. Nobody talks about that. Hmm. Let's uh, let's let's talk about that. It, we can do this briefly, but how did the because there's a lot of government programs that was specifically kept away from us and specifically for uh, the white population. Right. And, and very few people don't talk about that. One, because of what you said in the beginning, you get accused of being a racist. Right. Uh, and I, I'll be totally honest with you. I was you read the article. One of the things I openly admitted in the article is that I didn't want to talk about this because I didn't want to be cast as the angry black guy. Like anytime right. you talk about this stuff, you're automatically cast as the angry <laughs> black guy. And I'm the furthest thing from the angry black guy. Now I, I am passionate about the subject. Right. Man, and I don't want to sound cliche, but I'll kick it with anybody. My only rule is, and I don't know if I can cuss um for your audience or not. I have a no a hole. I have a no a-hole rule. Right. And so as long as you are not an a-hole, black, white, green, or indifferent. We I'm cool. cool with you. Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's, and I don't care if you're rich or poor. That, that's my personal rule. So I really don't care. But when you go through and you look at all the data, going back to the GI Bill, you know, the, the GIs came home from World War II. And if you do any of the research and any of the history, I'm not trying to bore anybody, but I know a lot of people don't like history, but the history tells a story and it puts things in proper context. You know, that the, the, the Tuskegee, uh, experiment happened during World War II where they gave yeah. black men syphilis. And I hate to dredge all this up, but it paints the picture where we are today. Right. And, you know, you look at how they treated the black GIs during the war. It was very unfair and they didn't give them the proper due benefits or respect. Well, guess what? The black GIs during World War II didn't get their proper benefits or respect. And when they came home, the government had benefits for them with the GI Bill where they could buy homes and things like that. Started in, in Long Island, New York where basically GIs took this money and they started moving to the suburbs. And this is when white flight took place. And there's a whole other real estate piece to this too, Yeah, that we can go into this. And again, I'm not trying to go off on a tangent, but there, there's so many tentacles to this thing. But the government basically financed the GIs to get homes in the suburbs to build an economic base because a lot of these folks were able to get um, homes. And what happened after World War II we had the baby boom, right? So mm -hmm. at the occurrence of uh, government-sponsored programs and demographic shifts, we saw white America or America create the white middle class. And then the white middle class was able to create more wealth through home equity ownership or home ownership through their equity participation in that. Right. Black folks weren't able to do that. 
And then what happened was when you saw black folks finally able to move after the signing of Fair Housing Acts, after the signing of the Civil Rights Act, to move to those so-called white neighborhoods, you had what's called white flight. And so you had a big population of people moving out of a neighborhood and a smaller population of people moving into a neighborhood. Yeah. So then you have declining property values. Yeah, so, my um, I remember my my grandmother telling me about her when her and her, her and my grandfather bought their house. They were the first uh, black family in this particular neighborhood, mm-hmm. and uh, wasn't a big deal. At but the then, time. The, then a second one came in, and it was it. It was it. Right. They. The 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 neighborhood was about bare, right? Uh, within the within a year year and a half, the the the, uh, the white flight was was serious, right. Uh, right? Because one wasn't too bad, but two, right? Yeah. <laughs> so and, and, and there's reasons for that as well. Um, we can come back to that too, but they're less economic and I think more cultural and right logical. But what the the backlash economically is we're talking about money, right? This is what we right. talk about in the show. And we want to make sure we relate it back to finance and the quality of life. The backlash of that is when you, like you just said, when you have so many people leave, you get a, a surplus of housing, right? Mm-hmm. Which supply and demand, right? Yeah, that's, what I, I, that's where supply. I was going. I was going there. But yes. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can go ahead and, and dig on that. You're the expert on that, but you, you're going there. Right. I was going there. So you have a supply and demand effect. So now, even to this current day, black neighborhoods or, or mixed neighborhoods have a lower property value, regardless of the actual real estate value itself. But it has a lower property value than those of white communities. I mean, the only reason we, we you should really see any diminishment of property value when everything is apples to apples is because of real estate structure, theoretically. Right, Not because of the racial makeup of a neighborhood, if right. you follow what I'm saying. But yeah. that's that is what happens. Now you know things kind of change, but you still you know because real estate has been able to increase in value, but you still see the disparity between black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. You know, all things being fair, the white neighborhoods are real estate is is, is priced higher than than the black neighborhoods. Right. Don't you still do not see a lot of white people moving back into so-called black neighborhoods because they don't want their property values to be affected. So, you know, everything is economic. Even slavery was economic. You know, I didn't touch on that that earlier. You know, right, wrong or indifferent. You know, we're having an economic conversation right now, not a, a, a moral or ethical one. But everything has some kind of economic um, outcome or or um outcome or or rationale to it okay all right so so we kind of understand where we've been where we've come from what ails the community there's of course there's always the the psychological you know um you know overflow from that so to speak And um, and <laughs> to be as nicely as I could put it, right? But you know what's um, really sad? I mean, just just keeping it one hundred. Go ahead. All of these things affect our money. Yes. Um, you know, like I, I talked about slaves just being set free. They weren't prepared or prepped for that. Right. Do they never had counseling for slavery? Right. right. So how do you how do you 
how do you tell people to just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and do just as good as everybody else? Yeah. They've been beaten and raped and, and taken away from their land and have no identity. And it's just, oh, we can just melt in and become this great melting pot. I mean, I just, I, I find it, I find it very interesting. Yeah. Um, in a bad way that right. people will enter, entertain that. Well, it's, it's funny because I talk about this in, in uh, the previous episode, episode, episode number 46. We talk about the black history of black money. And, you know, even even Abraham Lincoln, even the people who were uh, trying to set uh, blacks free, they understood that they needed an economic base. They created the Freedmen's Bank, uh, the Freedmen's, you know, savings yeah. and loans. Which created a lot of HBCUs, which people don't realize. Right. They also uh, they were promised the the 40 acres and a mule and one hundred dollars. Uh, President Adams, uh, I mean, right. President Jackson came through and just vetoed that. They were like, no, nah. <laughs> you're not getting that. <laughs> uh, but we, we go, we'll let you have your bank. But then even these banks and stuff, they end up getting, you know, people money came up missing. We didn't we didn't understand uh, wills and legacy laws and things like that. So when I when people would pass away, uh, you know, the the local municipalities and, and people like that, they would just still you know, this family's money because we didn't know any better. Right. And we see a lot of that today, uh, which is why I respect what you do and what you teach. Because one, uh, you like me believe that a lot of this is all economics, right? Uh, but what we're talking about today is kind of the the result of the the psychological warfare, this, this, uh, this real terrorism that we've experienced uh, as a people as a whole, Yes. Look now, the people they they study PTSD, and it's like, look, you can see the same symptoms of PTSD in a, an average person in the hood. Yep. Paranoia, you know, loud voices. I mean, loud, uh, you know, reactions, loud, sound. loud yep. sounds, irrationality, you know, all this other stuff. But let a, let a gunshot go off in a group of black people. Right. You you or, see. Or let, a, or let a car let a car backfire in a group of black people. I think that's the better analogy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, and what's what's funny is, right? You're from Texas. I'm from Philly. Yeah, we share that. Yeah, two different, <laughs> two different regions of the of the country, but you can relate to what I'm saying, and, I, and I'm totally understand what you're talking about. And I, I give you one even better. I realize the effect that this could have even on our children. My son, I was, oh, I don't even think he was two years old yet, right? And we were at the house, comfort, no danger, nothing like that, and. I started running, right? And he freaked out <laughs> and started running with me. Right. Well, see and, how easy that learned pattern continues. Right. It's generational. It's generational. So I think this is a good segue because we go back to this article that you wrote, which I think everybody, we're going to link this to the show note. Everybody needs to go read it because uh, we may run out of time to get through all because you have 15 steps and they're really good. But the very first one, it's really important. I really want to kind of make sure that we talk about that. And step number one was to develop an abundance mindset. So go from what we're, what we're talking about, this legacy of scarcity, this legacy of fear, this legacy of lack. And then the very first thing you say is to develop an abundance mindset. Could you elaborate and talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. Can I, I feel like I left a loop open though. Okay. Because you asked, you, you asked me the first question about the 1.2 trillion, yeah. and I started laying out all these historical facts, and I never got to to my final point. Okay, my final point was, you know, 
all those things that happened, all those economic things that happened, we still have 1.2 trillion in spending power. The ironic thing is, per studies, they say we only spend 2% of that with our own businesses. So basically only 2% of that circulates within our communities and in, in, in this country. So I don't why, is, wonder- why is that important? Why, why is it important for black people to spend more in their own community? Why, what difference would that make? That would make about, that the difference would be about 1 million jobs. So the thought is, if, and this is not me directly, this is Maggie Anderson. I would suggest everybody read her book. It's called Our Black Year. I've interviewed Maggie uh, several times. But here's the thought. So we spend about 2% of our discretionary income within Black-owned businesses. And there's a multitude of reasons for that. Many people believe that there aren't enough Black businesses um, available to service all their goods and needs. You can see that kind of demonstrated in Maggie's book. Um, and, and, and journey through through that one year where she spent only with all black with all black um, uh, stores and, and 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 businesses for all her discretionary goods. Everything else, you know, water, light, you know, electricity, utility, that's got to go where it's got to go. We can't really right. get around that. Right. Um, but she had a lot of difficulties with that. Um, if we spent more money with our black owned businesses, we automatically create jobs. The point I made about. Dr. King in 1963, before the March on Washington, we've always, we've always had more jobs. All our political platforms have always been about jobs, but we're not going to get jobs from mainstream establishments. We have to create them. Who was the biggest employer of black people? The federal government. Outside of the federal government, the biggest employer of black people are other black owned businesses. And that you could probably see that across all other ethnic groups and nationalities as well. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and so if black businesses have more capital infrastructure, have more revenue, they can hire more people. Hiring more people reduces the unemployment, which has been a systemic problem for decades, at least right. five decades. Right. We, we reduce that that issue. And then what happens? Crime goes down. Families are back together again, because, again, I didn't even talk about some of the other crime bills for like Clinton and Reagan and Nixon and all of that. But now we have more money to create more of an educational base for our children, whether it's sending them to private school or to college, because we know most of the public schools in in our black neighborhoods are terrible, sadly. Um, And and it just gives us more opportunity to do other things to help us cope with some of these ailments that we have been surviving with for so long. All right. So so that's the wrap up um, today. I just, I didn't want to leave it floating out there. I appreciate that. So just to kind of make sure I'm clear on this, there's 1.2, 1.5 trillion, only 2% of that is, is spent uh, with black owned businesses. And that's important because black owned businesses hire black people at a right. higher percentage than right. other. And right. it's not a, a race thing. It sounds like it's something that happens across other but, cultures. I mean, to put it in you know. truly, true layman's terms, listen, the majority of white firms will hire, hire black folks, all right? Our people need to work. Our people need to eat. Let's create our own businesses that create value and good products and services so we can hire our own people. I mean, it's really just that simple. Right. I mean, just to be frank. Right. And it seems that it's funny because it always seems like that's the part that bothers people when we, we have this conversation. Because yeah. I've had this conversation. I've been accused of being racist. And, this, and just like you were saying before, they're like, you know, because I say, hey, promote this or promote that uh, within the black community, people think you're being racist. But what you're really doing 
is is helping those who are in need, right? Because we're saying, we're like saying, you were saying that unemployment is double right. that for black people, right? right? And so if these are the entities that are hiring black people and the economic strife and, and, and poverty and things like that are happening in this community, if you really want to help this community, whether yes. you're black, white, or indifferent, you, you may want to do businesses who can provide you quality services and goods that also hire like in, from people in these communities, regardless of what it is. Right. And so you, you bring that full circle, which also we get back to uh, why there's such scarcity in the community. And your first step to building black wealth is to have an abundance mindset. What do you mean by that? Um, to believe that there's more than enough. So I, I know you're a believer. Um, you know, I don't claim to be of any faith, but I do believe the universe provides everything we need. Um, and, and, you know, you can go so many different ways with it, but you can go biblical, you can go um, uh, spiritual, I guess, for lack right, right. of a better term. Right. But if you believe that um, fruit is going to continue to grow on trees and animals are going to continue to be raised, we'll always have food. There, there's never not enough, at least not naturally. Um, so I think because of conditions here and globally, um, a lot of times many of us have developed a scarcity mindset and we've been kind of conditioned to not go for or strive to achieve um, our God-given purpose and abilities, um, our God-given um, rights, so to speak. If you have an idea, there's so many people who are, are afraid to launch their idea or or to say what's on their mind or just, just afraid in general. Um, you can never be free like that. And, and and if you're not free, you can never really think abundantly, in my opinion. Right. In my opinion. So that's why I say we have to develop an abundance mindset to know that there's plenty of things out there that we can do. And now I also want to say with all those bad things that have happened throughout our history, Right now is probably the best time that black people have ever had. And right now is probably the most opportunity that, that black people have ever had in this country. And now is the time for us to seize on it. We can do business globally, not just within our four or five block square radius neighborhood, but we can do business anywhere we want to. So why not do that? Um, so just think a little bit larger about the situation that you're in and the goals and things that you want to accomplish as well. So you got somebody that's listened to the show. Clearly, they want to get their money right, right? Or they are interested in uh, some type of financial advancement or education. They're interested in money. They've come to the realization that, look, my money, my money's funny. I need to do something different. Aside from what you have in this article, and again, like I said, we'll link that in the show notes. You'll find it at yourmoneyright.com forward slash EP47. Aside from the things that you mentioned in this article, and even on top of the things that you mentioned in this article, because I, I know we're not going to get into it because you just keep dropping nuggets and we're not going to get through every step in this article. But I want to make sure we touch on that. Uh, touch on this. Where does somebody start? Like, OK, you, you come to realization like, OK, I need to do something different. Where do you start? What's your recommendation? It's not money related. Is that okay? 
Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because there's certain things you gotta do in 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 order to, to right. Get you, right right. So let, let I'm 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 intrigued. Let me let me sit up a little bit so I can listen. <laughs> so I think it's mind and and and, and spirit and soul oriented, right? You got to do some work on your mind and spirit and your soul and in order to start walking the path that God truly has laid for you. And I, I think, and I, geez, I feel like I'm a preacher right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I do, I do believe that, right. And, you know, we can go with God with a whole other span, but just that divine, if you believe that there is a divine force at work uh, in your life or in the world's life, uh, in the yeah. world's cycle, that's what I'm talking about. Right. Um, and I think we all have talents and gifts that, you know, sometimes we can't explain why we got them. Yeah. I was just telling Jamar not to get too far off subject. I think he's a masterfully um, easy at putting complex situations or complex topics in layman's terms and make it easy for everybody to do. I struggle with that. So that's part of Jamar's God-given gifts and talents. I think everybody has to try to tap into their God-given gifts and talents and not really into this whole passion movement because I do think passion is important, but what is something that you just do naturally and how can you use that gift to help others? And then how can you look upon the world and say, how can I bring value forth to the world? I see a lot of people a lot of times want everybody to bring value to them first before they do anything, but it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Uh, I heard, I heard a scenario one time. I think this is Earl, Earl Nightingale. You can have a fireplace with wood logs all start stocked in there, but who's going to start the fire? You got everything you need, but right. you have to be the one that sparks the fire wow. in order to get the flame going. Wow. And, and so I think we all have to say, well, how do we get our own internal flames going? And that's why I say it's by developing our minds, our soul and our spirit. And so go read a book, go talk to somebody. Now I believe that you can learn something from anybody from a homeless guy on the street to the CEO of Goldman Sachs, it, it, you know, all walks of life. And I know I'm a little bit abstract with that thinking and it's a little contra to what um, the big gurus are saying these days. But, you know, I've learned from people who are quote unquote, not at a high so-called status in life. Be open to some of those conversations because I do believe there are angels all around us um, that are that God is kind of whispering to us and saying, hey, look at this. Take another look at this. You know, talk to Jamar, talk to Kamari, talk to somebody else. Just, just have another look at this thing. But, you know, do some of those things. I think we got to eat right. That's something I'm struggling with as well. I think a lot of these things um, disconnects us from that divine source, so to speak. Um, it makes it a little bit harder for us because there's a lot of distractions. Like you, like you uh, always say, there's a lot of distractions. And if you just watch TV all day long and, and you're being fed by that, that's your mental diet or your spiritual diet, you're going to be fat and bloated um, <laughs> and, and not in a good way. And right. so, you know, you, you have to start seeking out positive things to get your mind going and get your spirit going and get you moving. And that's what I mean by developing an abundance mindset. If that makes sense at all, that uh, is perfect. That okay. is, uh, I, I don't know if there is a better way to end this interview. I don't even want to mess it up because there were so many nuggets that you just dropped in that sixty to ninety seconds. There, I think I may even play that part back at the end <laughs> at the end of the credits of the show. Mm. Uh, 
get started, right? Get moving yeah. uh, and find your passion, find what you're good at and start figuring out how you can serve. You know, you got all, you got all the equipment, right? You got the wood, you got the fireplace, you got the logs, you got, you just have to set the fire. That, that right there, we could just, that's the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, before we close this out, because I think it's important because I did ask you, how do we get started? I recommend that everybody get in touch with you, right? Follow you, figure out where you are. So as we close this thing out, where can we find you? Where can we find Kamari Ellis on the internet? How can we get in touch with you? How can we learn from you? Share with us where you are and how we can do that. Um, everybody who's listening to this can email me at Kamari Ellis, C-A-M-A-R-I-E-L-L-I-S at gmail.com and just put in the uh, subject line, I'm Jamar's friend. And um, let's have a conversation. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. And you also do uh, some regular stuff. I, I know because uh, I'm, I'm, I try to catch you on Facebook Live. You will ask Kamari. Uh, yeah, deal. I do. I do. I ask Kamari live every Wednesday. I was late yesterday. Well, I didn't do one yesterday because I was sick, but I usually do that every Wednesday, 7, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. I've been working on doing this uh, digital thing more consistently, so I'm trying to stay more consistent with that. I'll do that tonight. And then uh, in the Philadelphia area, I do radio uh, every morning on Saturday mornings from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. And I'm usually, I don't get a chance to talk a lot about money. It's more about politics. Um, but the other thing I'm kind of on, I've been on, is letting people know that black wealth and black politics are hand in hand. Mm. And um, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that. Um, whether you're Democrat or Republican, it's, it's hand in hand. And we are seeing the firsthand effects of how politics can affect or <laughs> does affect everybody's life. With a mere pinstroke. With a mere pinstroke. I mean, it's just that simple. And it's not simple, but the people in power have made it just that simple. Um, to the to the point that they are risking people's lives. Um, and it's sad. It's sad. So we gotta get involved in a lot of different fronts. We can't go into our silos as we would like to and just work on one thing at a time. Um, we had to work on a couple of different things, sadly, because it's not just us that's at stake. It's our babies and our children's children. It's our legacy that's at stake right now. That's strong. We we definitely we we have a whole show or six on that topic alone. We have to have you back on so we can talk about maybe the politics of money, the, the money of politics, and all that good stuff, man. We anytime, anytime yeah. you want to talk, Jamar. You already know that we talk a lot anyway. So right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. we we we'll have to start doing this more. Maybe do some roundtables. Maybe get to a YouTube channel or something like that going. Um, well, I got a YouTube channel. We can definitely get that popping. Yeah, yeah. I'll we can get it jumping. Do something like that. <laughs> and we can even bring our, our, our brother Miles on, too, and maybe a few other people that we know is out there doing this thing. Yeah, we definitely need to get brother Miles on. Yeah. So let's, uh, in closing, anything you want to share that you didn't get a chance to share, this is your floor. Go ahead and close this out. Um, the, the only thing I, I, would, I would love to share is that we have been trained to think money is evil. Um, a lot of times our, our pastors mistakenly have have taught the lesson that that money is the root of all evil, but it's not money. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, and they're very different. Just continue. Look at money as a tool and use it effectively, and we will all be in a better place going forward. Outstanding. Mr. Kamari Ellis, we appreciate you. 
Uh, and again, just thank you. I really appreciate you being on today. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I got so much out of that interview. While the interview skills may be very mediocre, the knowledge that Mr. Kamari Ellis dropped in there, the wisdom he dropped in there was crazy, right? There's so many nuggets that was in there. And I hope you can get a chance to go back and listen. We didn't even get to the 15 steps, the 15 things that he said that we should do uh, to build uh, black wealth. Uh, because the conversation was just that good. And like you said, it was very difficult to even have this conversation without the 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 backstory of it all. And we touched a little bit on that in episode 46, but he really dug into some things today, even some things that I forgot about or hadn't even really realized myself. So again, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ellis, we appreciate you being on. And if you feel like this was good, uh, let us know. Let him know. Come over to the show notes at yourmoneyright.com forward slash EP47 and leave your comments on the show notes page. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get Mr. Kamari Ellis to come on over there and, and chit chat with everybody else, ask any questions you may have, and I'm sure he'll be uh, more than happy to answer those questions. That's what he does. He has a weekly show every week on Facebook called Ask Kamari. Uh, so look him up again. All this will be in the show notes for that. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, the boot camp uh, will be. The doors will open again on the boot camp. The boot camp would be on the 25th of February this this month and uh, at one o'clock. So make sure you lock in your calendar for that. And there will be an early bird pricing for those who jump on it. Make sure you get on the waiting list over at yourmoneyright.com forward slash boot camp. Or like I said, just go to the show notes and all those links and all that stuff will be there. So we really do appreciate you listening. I love you. God bless. MPS. MPS. We're talking about money, 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 cash, cash, cash. I said we're talking about money.